All right. Well, if there is anyone that lives underneath the roof that you live under, I want you to grab them by their ear and drag them to church on Sunday. If you have a family member that lives in the city, I want you to drive over on a Sunday to next Sunday morning, grab them by the ear and drag them to church Sunday morning. You guys get the point. Um, the reason why is my father's coming next Sunday and his bailiwick, his wheelhouse is interpreting uh, the signs of the last days. And um, this was only the natural disasters. The Bible says that right before the Lord's return, the earth, there will be groanings in the earth, the nature, uh, nature surrounding groanings in the earth. And so um, he's going to come though, and I'm really excited about it because there's one sign in particular, it doesn't matter who you are or how argumentative you are or how leery you are, there's one sign in particular that when you look at that sign, you just simply can't argue with it. Um, and so it's so important that everybody comes to church next Sunday uh, to hear this very important message. Uh, but today, however, I have a message for you called Balancing the Book. Balancing the books. Now, uh, balancing the books is a, a term uh, in the world of accounting um, where let me actually read the definition as it read when I was studying to equalize or to experience no loss. To equalize to experience no loss. So uh, when I was growing up, accountants always had the binder. It was the binder where all the, the books were in, okay? Everything with little time. There was only pencil inside and there was lots of tabs and lots of tiny writing. And, and this was uh, the book, the book. If there was a fire, we were in trouble. Uh, now, some of them were really fancy and they had it saved on a floppy disk, Anybody remember the floppy disks? Oh yeah, you could put your finger in the middle of it and go like that. And then we got really fancy. We got hard disks. Whoa. You remember those? Um, but uh, now um, when the books, the financials are not in a three ring binder, they're in a cloud somewhere. I don't know where that cloud is, but it's, it's up there. It's up there. Um, and it's in a computer that is like so smart, you're not sure if it's supposed to be that smart. But anyway, in, those, in, in the days I was growing up, it was always in a three-ring binder. And anytime somebody was going to balance the books, what they would do is that they would add up all of the numbers that were in parentheses, all of the red line numbers, the, the debt numbers. They will add up all the debt. And let's say the debt came up to 5,000, 50,000, 100,000, 7,000. And what they would do is they would move money around from one account to another if necessary, or they would do something to generate an injection of income. And then what they would move it to those accounts that uh, were in the red to balance them out. So that if, uh, if, if a stranger were to walk in and open up the books, they would see no trace uh, or, or they would see no debt. Uh, all the books have been balanced. It's when you take an injection of, of, of income to supplement the debt. 
And uh, that's what I want to talk about today because uh, the Lord actually has seasons where he looks at your loss and balances the books. He actually looks at those seasons. I'll, I'll give you an example. Hold on a second. My wife, Allie, why don't you stand up real quick? Uh, she hates it when I do this. But everybody say, happy birthday to you. Got to stand up. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to Allie. Happy birthday to you. August 22nd is her birthday. I thank God for it, and uh, she's going to kill me for doing that, but um, we all love you. Uh, what's that? I said August. I celebrate in August as well, so. <laughs> oh, boy, October 22nd. Uh, but the Lord looks at us and he sees a, a season where we experience loss. Some of us lose a significant relationship. They just leave our life. And sometimes we lose a job. Sometimes we lose a, a level of health that we're used to. Um, I don't know about you, but if, if one part of my body that's always been healthy is all of a sudden unhealthy, you don't realize how important that little part was. Have you ever banged your baby toe in the middle of the night on the side of your bed and for four days it's like boom, 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 boom. And you think to yourself, I didn't know how important that baby toe was. Right? You slam your finger. Who thinks about their pinky? Nobody thinks about their pinky finger. But go ahead and slam it with a hammer. You'll be thinking about it for a week. And so there's, there's certain levels of loss. And when you lose a level of loss in your finances, in your relationships, in your health, um, when you experience loss, God has a way of changing the season and balancing the books. Watch what the Bible says here in Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. He changes times and seasons. If you're taking notes today, it would be worth your while to write down these words. All seasons have an expiration date on them. The Lord looks back and says, that season is over. God starts and stops seasons. And when we're in a season of loss, he has the ability of shifting that season, just like the change of weather. Four times a year, we have a new season. Unless you live in Texas, you have two seasons, hot and hotter. Uh, but, uh, you know, my wife and I met in Rockford, Illinois, and it was so awesome when fall came because there would be these rustling and racing of leaves running across the road. Anyone here, uh, you spent time in a, somewhere else other than Texas and you had four seasons and, and then all of a sudden the, the snow comes down for the first time and, uh, and then the snow goes away and the sun starts coming up and you have these seasons. As easy as the Lord changes the physical seasons, he changes the seasons in your life. And when you come out of a season where you've experienced loss, he says, I know that you have lost something. I'm going to balance the books. 
I see where you've experienced loss, and this is what he does. He either causes an increase in that exact area, or he gives you an injection of a blessing in another area, but it is indeed linked to the same area that you experience loss. And there's so much strength given, there's so much blessings given, that very often when you look back on that season of loss, you look back on it and you say, that was painful, that almost killed me, but I am who I am because of that season. And that scripture that says that God works all things for the good of those who love him, it's a very perplexing situation because when you look back on your life, you won't know which seasons were best for you. Were the good seasons the one that you cherished the most? Of course we cherish those seasons. But you look back and now you look at the tough seasons, the rotten seasons, and you go, man, I don't know if that was best for me. I'm not sure which one was best for me. Was it best that I experienced those good seasons? Or was it best that I experienced those hard seasons? I'm not sure which one blessed me more. Are you, do you understand what I'm saying? You live enough life and you book, look back and you're not sure which one blessed you more. And so God has this way of balancing the accounts. I want to talk about that a little bit with you. Um, before I share four particular areas where he balances the accounts, I want to use scripture to show uh, a phenomenal scene where he balanced the accounts. His people in the Old Testament were called the Israelites. Those were his people, my people. And, and the enemies of his people uh, were the Egyptians. And the Egyptians uh, had this long season of punishing the Israelites. The Israelites were slaves. And then the day came when the Lord backed up and said to his people, I know it's been hard. But that season is over. When the Lord says that the season is over, no one can stop it. No one can stop it. That season is over. He sends a man named Moses to lead his children, the Israelites, out of slavery. He shows up and he says, come on, let's go. And there was a, a particular man uh, named Pharaoh that said, no, you're not going to take these people. There was a bit of an alpha male war that went on for several weeks between Moses and Pharaoh. But to get to the end of the story, Moses walked out with over a million people. And the Lord backed up and said, now watch what happens. I see where you have experienced loss. You were a slave for years and years and years, but now it's time to balance the books. I want you to whisper to yourself throughout life, the Lord will balance the books. When you're experiencing a tough time, just whisper to yourself and say, the Lord sees what's happening and he is going to balance the books. When somebody is not treating you right, you just back up and whisper to yourself, the Lord's going to balance the books. 
When somebody seems to have an advantage in pushing you down, you just whisper to yourself and say, the Lord's going to balance the books. Everybody say, the Lord's going to balance the books. Say it real loud. The Lord. One, two, three. He's going to balance the books. And so as the Israelites were walking out, the Lord took his hand like only he can do and began to touch the hearts of the oppressors, the hearts of the Egyptians. And so the Egyptians who have always looked at God's people, the Israelites, as people they didn't like, all of a sudden they looked at them and they had compassion for them. They looked at them and they had love for them. I want you to know that in Proverbs 21 verse 1, it says that the Lord directs the heart of a king just like a man can move water in his hand. If there's somebody that is tormenting you, oppressing you, you just back up and whisper to yourself, the Lord's going to balance the books. And when the Lord feels like it and when he gets ready in his sovereign way, he has the ability to just take that person's heart and move it towards you or just take that whole person and move him out of your life. He has the ability to start and stop seasons and change the hearts of man. But in this particular case, he changed their hearts. And as the Israelites were leaving, they started taking off their jewelry and giving it to the Israelites. Started taking off their gold earrings, their diamond earrings, and giving it to the Israelites. Taking off their watches and and diamond nose rings. And it's a little bit gross, but it's worth something. And and, and the necklaces. And and they started giving it. They started giving them their clothes. This is Armani. I want you to have this. And this is is, silk. I want you to have this. And get, get that earring off your ear. I want you to have this. And they started blessing them. And when they left that season, they walked out richer than they had ever been before. God balanced the books. He said, I see the season. I see what these people did. But just know this, I am balanced. Today is the day where I balance the books. And on their way out, they walked out richer than they have ever been before. I want to talk about four particular areas where the Lord balances the books. There's hundreds of them, but here's four. The first area is in the area of loss. When you go through a season of loss, when he balances the books, very often it's intimacy, it's compassion that you receive in return. When you experience loss, it's compassion that when he balances the books, he gives you compassion. And compassion is very, very important. Because compassion leads you in the direction that he is calling you to go. You see, there are people, 7 billion people on the earth. The, most of you have about over 100 people in your cell phone that you call friends. But which ones are you assigned by God to influence? Which ones? Who do you help? The Bible says that the poor will always be around you. So if there's poor people everywhere, if there's needy people everywhere, if there's hurting people everywhere, which ones are you, not me, you supposed to help? It's compassion that leads you. Where you have compassion, 
is where God is leading you. So if you look at, uh, uh, you know, people, uh, children in Africa that have no water, and you're like, ooh, that is not your assignment. Those are not the people that you're assigned to. But somebody else, when they watch that very same commercial, are calling the 1-800 number and emptying out their pockets because they are assigned to that people, to those people. You may see somebody on a street corner and you just look right through them. They're holding a bucket. You don't even see them. There's somebody else in the car right behind you that can't pass one person on a street corner without giving them something. It's compassion. Compassion leads you. Compassion directs you. When you hear certain stories of the people around you, you hear that somebody went through a divorce, you go, oh, I'm so sorry. But it's the kind thing to say. I'm sorry. But you're not really compelled to jump into their life and say, are you okay? Why? Because you do not have compassion in that area. You are not assigned to that particular person in that area. Having compassion is a precious gift because the more compassion you have, the more the Lord is going to use you. And I don't know about you, but the number one thing in my life is I want God to use me. Lord, I want you to use me. Is that the cry of anyone else's heart? You want them to use you. And when you experience loss, you will cry hot tears. Tears will drop into the corner of your ear while you're laying on your pillow. How many people know what I'm talking about? When you cry quiet so you don't wake anybody up, the Lord will see loss. And when he balances the books, he gives you a compassion. Compassion is the gift. Compassion is the veins that the love of God runs through your soul with. If you have ever lost anybody, I'll never ever forget going out to dinner with Todd and Sarah, some good friends of ours with my wife, Allie. Her dad was dying. Todd has experienced a loved one die. And Todd began to encourage and help and bless Allie sitting at the table. And Sarah and I had to sit there and be quiet because we have never experienced loss to that degree. So therefore, we have not been given that gift of compassion and we are not able to help in that particular area. And so we don't have that gift because we didn't pay that price. Now, some of you in this room that have been financially stressed you've been you know what it feels like to be up to your eyeballs in debt and maybe you're still up to your eyeballs in debt when you hear somebody else up to their eyeballs in debt and you know that you can make it and you know you can still sleep at night and you know that you can still overcome it you feel compelled to go help them. I'll tell you, when I was being raised by my dad, Allie and I trade stories all the time trying to figure out which family was more poor growing up. She, <laughs> I like, Allie, our car had a, a, a rag for a gas cap. And she's like, well, we didn't have a car. I'm okay, you got me. Um, 
it, it would go back and forth, back and forth. I used to, uh, just a couple weeks ago, I was like, my dad used to have to pump the gas. And then it finally start. Um, and, and, and Allie would go, well, I used to have my mom drop me off in front of the school six months, six, six blocks down the street because I was like, okay, you got me again. And I was like, yeah, well, I had to share a room with me and my brothers when I was growing up. All of us just crammed in one room. She goes, yeah, well, my, we separated our bedrooms with a bed sheet. I'm like, okay, you got me again. I don't like this game. Um, <laughs> But we go back and forth. And so when somebody is struggling financially, oh, uh, we've been there. We know what it feels like. My, my mom has been on food stamps. I know what it feels like to experience that. Oh, Allie and I ourselves have stared at the checkbook going, how in the world is this going to work? So we, that gift, you experience loss, I'm giving you compassion compassion is the gift when God balances the books. I don't know if you've ever experienced loss. Actually, I do. I know you have. I just don't know which area. Just know this. When God balanced the books without you realizing it or not, you experience love. I remember when Allie and I, uh, we didn't have any kids. We had a, a dog. And, and I told Allie, uh, I don't want to have any kids because I can't imagine loving anyone more than I love Scooby. <laughs> Scooby was our kid. He was our dog. I adored. We slept together. We, we drank from the same cup. <laughs> and if you think that's gross, you don't have a dog. <laughs> All the dog lovers in the room say amen. Um, and so I know they lick weird things, but that's okay. So <laughs> why did I say that? <laughs> but I remember telling Allie, I, could, I, I, I can't even imagine loving a kid as much as I love Scooby. And then our daughter Presley came along and Scooby got the kaboot right out the door. And what happened what, my, to my heart was this, is I didn't have to share love with my dog and my daughter. My capacity to love grew. Do you see what I'm saying? So your capacity to love grows. Your capacity to experience compassion grows when you experience loss. And compassion can be broken up to come Pass it on. Come to me. I will give you something to pass on. I am going to use you. That is the trade when he balances the books. Number two is frustration leads to intimacy. When the Lord sees that you are frustrated, you're frustrated just with everything. You're just uh, in a frustrated season, especially spiritually frustrated. You just want to get more out of a worship song. You want to get more out of a sermon. You want to get more out of church. You want your prayer time to not be so lame and so boring. You want to get more frustration that season. I feel like I've lost something and I don't know what it is that the season of frustration, spiritual frustration, is an invitation to spiritual intimacy. What is happening is the closeness that you have always had with the Lord is no longer enough. 
It's not that church is boring. It's the amount of church that you're experiencing is gotten boring. Now it can no longer be a logical experience. Now it has to be a hard experience because a logical experience is boring the mess out of me. This is the Lord saying, I want more of you and I'm going to make you want more of me. In fact, I'm going to make you so frustrated that you are going to be forced into a decision. I feel like this is a word for somebody in this room. You're in a decision. You are either going to walk away from this thing because it's just not fascinating to you or you're going to push in because you want more. You are in that season right now. You, that is where you are. You dragged yourself to church today, but you just don't want to be here. You just came because it's the right thing to do. And you're tempted to just not come back anymore because it's just not fascinating. I know in my spirit, I'm talking to somebody right now. And you are on that line where you are within the next few weeks, you're just going to drift completely out or you're going to flip that switch and shift that gear and to begin to pursue him more than you ever have before. But where you are right now is a place that you can't be anymore. Spiritual frustration is an invitation for spiritual intimacy. That's how he balances the books. Number three is when he balances the books in revenge. When our hands go up, God's hand moves. I, I, I don't know if you're wired up like me, but when somebody rubs me wrong or they're rude, I think to myself, I wrote the book on rude. You can't out-rude me. I will, out, I will teach you about rude. I can freeze you out for a year. You know what I'm talking about? Where you're just like, I'm not talking to you anymore. How many of you can go days? Days is child's play. <laughs> Are you with me? I, you're dead to me. I don't even see you anymore. You're not here. You're not here. I'm looking right through you. I don't even walk right by you in the hallway. You're not here. It, it, you're dead to me. Anybody with me on that? When you, here's the thing about revenge. You can get your revenge or God can get revenge for you. But both of you don't get to dis determine what the revenge is going to look like. Either you get to decide or God gets to decide. Is that Gooch back there? Gooch, my man. He's an Italian. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You go, hey, you're going to go swim with the fishes. You keep that up. And so here, here's the thing. You get to decide or God gets to decide. What's so amazing is if you keep your hands clean and your heart pure, when the people that are hurting you continue to hurt you and you keep your mouth shut, hands up. Now, when I say mouth shut, I don't mean you're, you don't say anything bad to them. I mean, you don't say anything bad to anybody. I think we need the Bible right now. Watch this. Let me find it. Yes, Matthew 12, 36. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day 
for every idle word you speak. And so when things happen to you, you back up. I'm not going to say a word. I'm going to keep my hands up. I'm not going to say a word. I'm going to keep my hands up. And God says, I'm going to take care of that for you. I remember a few years ago, there was somebody that was a part of our church. And uh, he was part of our church. And man, he did me so bad. He did me so bad. He did this church so bad. He did, he just, he was just not a good boy. He wasn't a good boy. And uh, I was furious, furious about what he did. Well, a few years later, um, I got invited to sit on a board here in the Woodlands. And it was a great honor. I was sitting on the board. Uh, it was only a two-year term, so I'm not on that board anymore, which I don't miss. But anyway, um, for those of you that sit on boards, <laughs> man, more power to you. But anyway, I was sitting on a board, and, and all of a sudden I saw on the agenda that uh, that guy that was in our church is coming to the board uh, for approval. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. This is God. This is God. And, and so for, for a whole week, I'm sitting there preparing. I was like, I had like a wet stone and a knife. Shing, shing, shing. I'm like, I can't wait. I wasn't even sleeping. I almost showed up to the board meeting three days early. Couldn't wait. Oh my goodness. I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait. I told Allie, I was like, I can't believe this is happening. Like this just does not happen. And, and the board it, it is, there's like this pressure on the board uh, to contribute. Like the, the board wants to know you were invited on this board because we want to know what you think. And I'm like, don't worry about that. You are going to know what I think. And so I'm all pumped up. I'm excited. I'm telling you, like I'm telling you my name. I felt God speak to me and say, I want you to show up and don't say a word. I was like, Satan, I rebuke you. I know that is from the enemy. And I'm preparing, I'm preparing my speech, man. I'm preparing. It was sounding so good. But it was just crystal clear. Do not say a word. Do not say a word. I was like, I have to say a word. It's my responsibility. It's my responsibility to this board. And, and I know the board that I'm on. And the board that, I'm, that I was on, it's like every pure person in the world was on that board, okay? And I'm sitting here. And I'm like, they, they, they need me. They need me. I'm telling you, <laughs> they, they need me because they are going to approve this guy. And I've been in this process like 20 times and they always approve. They've never not approved anybody. They're just nice people. And I'm like, they, they, got, they need me, God. They need me. They need me. And so I felt like, do not say one word. I was so upset. So I walked in. I, I threw my speech away, even though I memorized it, just in case God changed his mind. <laughs> I'm sitting there. He comes in and he sits down. And I just went, hey, how are you? And I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. So I sit there. And all of a sudden he starts talking. And he finishes. And I'm thinking in my head, that is a load of baloney. Everything you just said is a load of baloney. And I'm sitting here going, I want to calm out God. And so I'm just sitting there. And all of a sudden, the guy next to me goes, 
you know, I know we always approve people, but, but I just feel like you've got selfish motivation for this thing. And then someone else pops up and goes, I, I just feel like you don't care about the organization. You just care about you. And I'm like, All the way around the circle. You, you, you just, it's just coming across very pompous and arrogant. So now it's my turn to talk. And I'm like, you got, I'm thinking this. All of you said it so much better than me. And so I said, I, I don't have any comments. They filleted the guy. Filleted him. And I'm sitting there going, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) I got home and I told my wife, I was like, God filleted that guy. (laughs) And it's just, it's just you can get your revenge or God can get the revenge for you. But you don't get both. And you don't get some of it and then God get the rest of it. It's like, God, I could do a lot, but I'm not. I'm just going to let them know. Just See, sometimes we want God's revenge. We just want to watch. <laughs> Did you get that? All right, God, you can punish them, but can I watch? And it doesn't work like that. What's so funny is the people that do you the most wrong, When God gets involved and you keep clean hands in your pure heart, and you can talk to my wife, we've been married for 16 years and this has happened so many times. Keep your mouth shut, hands back, face clean. Not like face clean. (laughs) Hands back. How many times over the years people have had to come to us and say, I'm sorry? How many times? And sometimes they don't say, I'm sorry. Sometimes it turns and they need you to bless them. I remember my dad when he lost his wife to his best friend, his best friend who was a multimillionaire. I was 15 when it happened. Two years later, that guy called my dad and said, Hey, I've lost everything. I don't have a dog. I can't even make my mortgage payment. Will you help me make the mortgage payment? And I'm like, Dad, get him, man. Get him. He's like, a a check is in the mail. How you respond to offense determines your future. He watches everything. He sees everything. And when people do things wrong, when people wrong you, you just back up and say, God's going to balance the books. God is going to balance the books. Everybody say, God's going to balance the books. Say it again. God's going to balance the books. Number four, and this is my last and closing point, is that there are, the Bible calls troublemakers rabble. R-A-B-B-L-E. Rabble. Rabblers, here's point number four, are necessary. God uses rabblers to unlock the door of opportunity before you. Watch what Paul says here. Paul says this. He goes, 
in 1 Corinthians 16 verse 9, because a great door for effective work has opened to me, there are many who oppose me. Many. So there's this huge door of opportunity. And the prelude to opportunity is opposition. And so when an, a rabbler in opposition comes before you and they are messing with you, they are irritating you, they're talking bad about you, they're talking bad about you behind your back, they're talking bad about you in front of you. If you have ever worked in any occupation that has more than one employee there, you know what I'm talking about. There's always that one person that you go, oh, I got to sleep with one eye open open around that person. I can't trust them as far as I can throw them. That is a person as a rabbler. God needs the rabblers. Watch what happens here. The children of Israel are being tormented by the Egyptians. The Egyptians are tormenting them, making them reach quotas that they have no chance of reaching, punishing them. On the way out, it is those rabblers, those Egyptians that made them rich. Here's my ring. Here's my watch. God uses the rabbler. So when you look at a rabbler, when you look at somebody that is causing you stress and affliction, you just whisper to yourself, God's going to balance the books. And when he does, I'm going to be better than I am right now. I don't know what's going to happen to you but I'm going to be better than I am right now. And so often God studies how you handle the rabblers to determine your responsibility in the future. He doesn't give blessings to people who cannot handle them. My son wants a car. He's 10. He will get a car. Not today. He studies to whom much is given, much is required. He studies. It's very, it's very interesting because as the children of Israel were leaving, as they were walking out, the Bible says this. Let me read it to you. Exodus chapter 12, verse 38. A rabble of non-Israelites went with them along with great flocks and herds of livestock. So watch what's happening here. Moses says, hey, all of the Israelites, all of you that have been slaves, it's over. That season is over. Let's go. And over one million Israelites start walking out. And all of a sudden, some Egyptians, they weren't Israelites. They were like, hey, woo. They jumped in. They were standing there. It says they were amongst the livestock in the herds. So they're standing there. A million people are walking out. And they're moving their, their, their livestock and herds out. And they stand in there like, Whoa, this way, pony. This way. They walk out. This way, pony. And they just start acting like them. Like they're an Israelite. And they're not. It's so interesting to me that... In order for God to take, while they were in slavery, he had rabblers that ended up blessing them as they went into their next season. 
And now he's sending them into the next season and he takes a rabbler and sticks it in there again. He says, that rabbler blessed you with rings and wealth to go to the next season. Now you're in the next season and I've got something else for you so I got to stick a rabbler in there. So when you back up and you look at rabblers, you just say, thank you for being here. You're a royal pain in my neck. I thank God for you. Because you're not going to be in my life forever. See, that's the thing about rabblers. You think they're going to be there forever. Nobody's in your life forever. You don't even remember the people that you worked with at your first job. You don't even remember them. And the people that you work with now and the people that you live around, you, can't, you don't even remember your neighbors in the first house that you lived in. So when they come in your life, don't think they're going to be there forever and don't give them the power to ruin your whole week. They're there for a season. And God's going to balance the books. And when he does, you'll, you get blessed for leaving. God always balances the books. Stand up on your feet for me, please. Would you bow your head and close your eyes, everybody in the room? Nobody looking around. If your heart were to stop beating in the next five minutes, are you 100% sure you know where you'd spend eternity? the answer is no, would you just raise your hand right where you are? I see hands going up all over this room right now. As a sign of surrender, can we all just raise both hands? Let me just take a sidebar. The reason why I'm always encouraging you to bring friends and family to church is for this moment right here, right now. This moment. With a raised voice, can we just say these words of surrender? Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. Would you please forgive me? I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.